The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO and Power Plus, their next generation broker portal that gives you more speed and control over the process. You can now disclose, lock, and manage your loan seamlessly from start to finish, all in one place. It's another reason why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID number 35953, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. As I'm sure you've heard by now, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals raised constitutional concerns about how the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau is funded. That's why the court struck down a CFPB rule on payday loans. But what about all of the other rules that the agency has made? For that matter, what happens to the CFPB? Welcome to The Principal. I'm Mike Savino, head of multimedia for the Mortgage News Network. And today I'm joined by attorney Jay Beidel. He's a principal with the law firm Polumsky, Beidel & Green. Jay, thanks for joining me. You're a pleasure joining you. So I guess, uh, you know, before we get into the, uh, you know, what this could mean for the CFPB and its rulings going forward, I guess just help us, you know, understand from a legal standpoint, uh, when these rulings sort of question the constitutionality, you know, why is this such an important thing that Congress retain its power of the purse and the president have the ability to remove the director if need be? And some of these things that have been pointed out in some of these rulings? Well, the uh, founders of uh, the, the United States, when they wrote the Constitution, they intended that there be checks and balances on the various branches of the government so that the executive branch, legislative branch, and judicial, judicial branch couldn't be the all-in uh, ruler, so to speak. So. One of the things that they did that they felt like would uh, help solve that problem was that they separated the uh, uh, the power of the executive to spend money, and it required the legislature, the Congress, to make appropriations to spend to finance government activities. And they felt like the, in that manner, the Congress had the ability to have some checks on on what the government was doing. And so to try to, you know, understandably to try to protect a regulator from being politicized, moving them to say the Fed would would go against those things, right? Like the idea of making them independent kind of goes against that that framework. Well, the the the, the court in, in this decision uh, said that uh, by the funding scheme that they have, where they're it's being funded by the Federal Reserve, that uh, and coupled with apparently the ability of the Federal Reserve not to deny funding unless the amount of funding was more than 12% of their budget, that that gave autonomy to the uh, CFPB, the December National Protection Bureau, uh, and outside of the checks and balances and outside of the Appropriations Act, uh, thereby kind of severing the ability of, of Congress to control the purse strings. Uh, and the court pointed out that that is unconstitutional in their opinion, uh, and that uh, the the Congress cannot constitutionally 
cede that power over to an agency. So yes, they 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 felt like that gave too much autonomy uh, to the CFPB uh, and not enough uh, uh, control by the Congress. So what does this mean for the CFPB? And then we can sort of talk about the rulings. But I guess really the question is: it's if the, the entity as a body is it is it dead? Is that something that can be fixed? Well, it's really interesting in this in this decision. The court clearly did not say it's dead. It, it, it said that uh, it can still, it still is empowered to do things it was empowered to do, but because the funding structure was unconstitutional, they don't have the wherewithal to carry out uh, those duties. And so it, it's an interesting uh, uh, distinction that they said they have, they, they were granted the power to do these things. But because there was no funding properly appropriated to them, it's almost like, well, you can't pay the bills, so you can't do anything. <laughs> so what does this mean for, for all of the things that they did? I mean, you look at, for example, college sports, you don't shut down a program necessarily because of some recruiting violations, but you vacate the wins. And it's like those games that they played with improper players never happen. Is that what's going to happen here, that some of these rulings never happened? Or, or how does this work for some very important regulations that were put in place? Well, well first of all, this ruling is, is, is by a, a, a three-panel judge of the Fifth Circuit Court, uh, Federal Appeals Court. And it's their, the, the, the defendant, CFPB, has the ability to request the full uh, Fifth Circuit Court to review the case and render an opinion as well. Uh, they could, the full panel, could say, oh, no, it's got proper funding. Or they could either deny the full panel hearing or they could uphold what the three judges said. Uh, if they uphold what the three judges said at that point, and at the point it is right now prior to like an appeal, uh, this, this decision is solely binding upon uh, 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 the states that fall and portions of states that fall within the Fifth Circuit. There are other circuit courts in the federal system. Uh, and so one circuit court's decision is not binding upon another circuit court's decision. So right now, this decision, if upheld in the, at the circuit court level, uh, is, is just binding upon cases that come before this court. Uh, so the other thing is that in, in this decision, they, they simply vacated the order or the, the rule that was in question. It was a payday restriction rule that they, they, they vacated. That means that they didn't say all rules ever promulgated by the CFPB are invalid. They just said this one we're vacating because they didn't have the power and authority or the, the money to, to implement it or to promulgate it. If from a from a, a a broad perspective, if this decision stands and it's upheld by the United States Supreme Court, then it would be binding across the nation, and it would raise the question of, of whether or not uh, any rule that was promulgated by the CFPB or any action that the CFPB engaged in whether or not it can be attacked in court 
and vacated. So it, it, it's not automatic. It would require, in my opinion, require another lawsuit attacking another rule if it's held. Uh, but it certainly opens the doors, uh, what I call the floodgates, to have uh, other people come in and challenge uh, rules that's been promulgated they don't like or that's uh, causing them problems. And that sounds like it could be a very, very messy situation where people just start, obviously now there's now a legal basis. People start filing lawsuits uh, all over in, in all of the different circuits on, on all these rules. And, and now the CFPB is just constantly going to court. Don't miss the largest regional mortgage show in the nation. The New England Mortgage Expo returns to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, January 12th and 13th. See us at www.nemortgageexpo.com. Start your year with the best connections in the industry. Dozens of sessions, scores of exhibitors, it's where success is written every hour. www.nemortgageexpo.com. Uh, do you think that that's the most likely scenario? Or do you think obviously there are other options where uh, the Supreme Court could obviously look at this, recognize the landscape, and also they've weighed in on the CFPB before? Could they just say, you know what, we're just going to get ahead of that. We're going to take this and we're going to set the standard. And also, do you, well, I guess just that first, and then we'll talk about what Congress has to do to fix this. But could that be what the Supreme Court does here? Like, listen, we don't we don't want 50 million lawsuits here. We've already weighed in before. Let's just weigh in again. The court, the, the scheme of our judicial system is Supreme Court can't just reach out and grab a case and say, we're, we're going to handle it. So it's going to have to be appealed to the Supreme Court. Uh, the process would be, again, that the defendants would require or request that the full court rule on it. If, if they ruled against them or they didn't accept it, then I'm sure they will appeal, the, 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 the CFPB will appeal this to the Supreme Court, at which point in time the court can look at it and say, we accept it or we don't accept it. And I think, as you pointed out rightfully, that once it's available to the court to take a look at it and rule on it, I think they will. And I think, as you pointed out, one of the things that motivate them is this will keep um, litigation from happening in all the various districts to see what's going to happen, how that court's going to rule on the same subject matter. So yes, I think if uh, if if it's available, to Supreme Court, I think they will definitely take it and and rule on it. And that's interesting because maybe if the CFPB knows this isn't going to go their way, they don't appeal and and it doesn't get there then, and then we're still stuck in this piecemeal. Every circuit, every decision is a different status. Yes, you're correct. They, they, they could say, you know, we're not going to appeal it. And uh, they'll try to, if, if at all possible, try to get cases in, to be held outside of the Fifth Circuit. For example, the Ninth Circuit, which is more liberal, that, and it hopes that they will rule the funding's fine. So uh, that, that is certainly a possibility. And then it would be piecemeal, uh, depending on which uh, federal district you're in, appellate district you're in. Is going to set the standard for what type of potential ruling you'll get, and we've had uh, we have other cases uh, in different scenarios that have you have different rulings in the different uh, federal circuit courts. Uh, they rule opposite to one another, and they haven't gone to the Supreme Court. Uh, so you know that in the Fifth Circuit, this is the way you know the rule is. But if you're in the Ninth Circuit, this is a different rule, and so that is certainly a possibility. Obviously, Congress can can fix the structural problem by just funding it the way uh, the court says that it should 
and, and structuring it the way other other regulatory agencies are structured. Um, assuming, assuming they do that, assuming they try to, you know, recognize this ruling and, and correct uh, some of the, the issues in the ruling, would that retroactively fix the decisions that were made? Or is that only going forward? This is no longer a problem and the CFPB is constitutional and all new rulings are correct. Uh, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to the <laughs> question. Uh, I would assume that if if the Congress stepped in and, and fixed the problem, uh, initially my reaction would be, well, that's only going to cover rulings and in, in, in actions of CFPB going forward. Uh, it, it, it's possible to me, it's conceivable that the, uh, the legislature could somehow, some way say, and above and beyond that, we're going to ratify all the actions they took uh, in the interim in, in an effort to try to, to validate them if there was any question about them. Uh, generally speaking, the, prom- the rules when they're promulgated, they're, they go through a process where they're published and they have comment and there's time frames that have to be satisfied. And ultimately, the end result is, OK, we adopt this rule. Once they've gone through that process, which the rules that they've promulgated up to now have gone through that process, there's a presumption that they're valid unless they are a court rules, they're not valid or vacates them. So right now, uh, it's presumed that all the other rulings are valid, that this one has been vacated. There's a presumption of validity as to the others until they're attacked. So if Congress were to fix the funding, um, we might just keep moving down the road under the presumption they're valid, but there's still that looming potential for a, a, a plaintiff to attack one or more of the rules saying, but it was done when you didn't have the, the power to do it and try to, to attack it. So it's, it, I think it leaves some uncertainty there. And I'm guessing part of that uncertainty comes from, maybe I'm wrong, there's probably not a lot of regulators who were created with this structure and funded in this way. You know, again, as much as you may want to keep it from being political, most, most regulations are run through federal departments that are part of the executive branch. I'm guessing this isn't a structure that's normally used. Well, the court said it is. The court said it was unique. The, play, the, the, the defendant, CFPB, said, no, no, there's other, other agencies that are, are not funded by Congress, uh, and they've been upheld. So uh, there is apparently, there is certainly between the CFPB and this, this free panel judges a disagreement as to whether or not other agencies follow the same mold and are good. And back to your, you know, what you brought up at the beginning, that this is just specific to uh, a specific regulation in a specific district and thinking of our audience, you know, obviously not only is the CFPB not dead, its rules are largely assumed to still be in place if you're in, in the finance industry. Oh, I'm just saying, yeah, I agree. That's that they're presumed to be valid. This this ruling doesn't invalidate any of the rules that are on, on in place, uh, which in, in the mortgage lending industry is not necessarily bad because uh, mortgage lenders since 2015, uh, when no before you owe or trid amendments to Reg Z came into being, they spent millions of dollars to, to restructure their, their operating systems and computers to comply with the, the regulations. And so if the regulations were invalidated, then that would mean that they have to go back to where they were 
before they spent all this money and probably spend more money to reverse what they did. So I, I sort of see the, the mortgage lending industry is not relishing a wholesale abandonment of what they just spent millions and millions of dollars on to get set up to be able to comply. Especially not at a time like this when originations are, are slowing down. So certainly, even though the, the you know there's questions about what will happen going forward, there's probably interest from a lot of different sides to keep some of these regulations in place. Jay, thanks so much for uh, joining us and, and helping us sort of understand what this means for uh, the bigger picture with the CFPB. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking time to visit with me and ask me to, to talk with you. Uh, look forward to uh, working with you in the future. If you have any other questions, thank you again so much for asking me to be on your show. We'll have the rest of your headlines after this word from our sponsor. This podcast was brought to you by PennyMac TPO and Power Plus, their next generation broker portal. Visit tpo.pennymac.com to sign up. PennyMac TPO is Division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID number 35953, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Can you sell something you don't actually have? Fannie Mae says that's what First Guaranteed Mortgage Corporation is trying to do as part of its bankruptcy. A judge recently approved FGMC's plan to sell off substantially all of its assets, but that drew a flurry of objections. One of those came from Fannie Mae, accusing FGMC of trying to sell a shell entity having licenses with Fannie. The government-sponsored enterprise says it doesn't issue licenses. In other news, the FHFA is eliminating upfront fees for certain first-time home buyers, low-income borrowers, and underserved communities. The MBA called the move well-timed and says it will improve access to credit for those who qualify for the waiver. This has been The Principal, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Cotamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygates. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening.